Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs in the B2B space. Giving you the inside tips, tricks, and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. So welcome to Revenue Champions. Today, I'm joined by the renowned James Ski. So welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Very exciting to see you lead this. I know, it's a first. Usually it's reverse, isn't it? So... Uh, yeah, I know. This is this is why I'm enjoying it. Usually, I have to do all the preparation. Let's see how we go. So, so um, yeah, James. So we'd, we'll dive straight in. So, to anyone who potentially doesn't have a social network account or a LinkedIn account or has been under a rock for the last two years, do you mind just giving a quick intro to yourself and your background? Sure. So, uh, my name is uh, James Ski. I'm the founder of Sales Confidence, and Sales Confidence has become the largest and most valuable network for salespeople and sales leaders in the UK and Europe. For the last three years, we've been focused on helping salespeople at each stage of their career with their mindset, well-being, and overall performance. And overall, we've been delivering that through originally physical events and then naturally in more recent times online. But fundamentally, it's about bringing people together, connecting them to expert world-class sport leaders in sales, with providing access to information and also opportunity. Perfect. I've been to many of them events, James, and they've been superb. Thank you. Yeah, look, I have to say, you know, we did reach a very high bar when we could do it physically together. And it's become a huge part of the ecosystem in London, which I'm really proud of, actually. And I desperately miss us all hanging out and having a good time. So I'm very much looking forward to when that time um, happens again, because, you know, however uh, much we adopt and adapt to this uh, online world, nothing beats in-person human connections and uh, nothing beats having a drink with some mates in the industry especially for salespeople, 100%. Um, so you touched on it there, James, just like if you could like concisely say like what, what is the core objectives and goals that you set out at sales conference? I know one of the key things is like well-being, but yeah, what's like the overarching objective and what you want to achieve? Yeah, so I, I was one of those individuals that didn't fall into sales. You know, I pursued sales as a profession because I always believed that it would um, support me in my own entrepreneurial career, which was kind of, I guess, a schoolboy dream. And I always felt that the salesperson or salespeople more generally weren't necessarily appreciated for their professionalism and the contribution they have to business, but also the economy. So one of the kind of key objectives has been to elevate sales as a profession. You know, how do we advocate that sales is a great career route for people leaving school and university, but also how do we put a spotlight on those experts that have proven themselves building in our industry, you know, software companies. So what the other objective is giving back and allowing those that have been proven established leaders giving back to a a wider community. And what I think has been unique about sales confidence is that, you know, people have come to connect and not compete, which is naturally what as salespeople we are all about within our organizations. But when you come to a sales confidence event, you you know, you can leave some of that ego at the door and just connect on a level to help learn, connect, access mentors or coaches and advice. So, you know, that's been a core part of me. And also because I have um, had challenges with my own mental health in my career, I've always wanted to create a place, a safe 
place, frankly, where people can be open about their own challenges and we can support each other. And it just happens to be focused around the sales profession, SaaS as an industry, uh, and also just bettering people overall. Um, so just touching on, you said then like creating a safe space and creating a safe environment for people. Um, obviously, that's probably one of the key attributes and traits now of like the modern leadership. And through your network, you obviously meet a variety of different sales leaders. But what do you think it takes today to be a modern SaaS sales leader comparative to maybe five or 10 years ago? It's a great question. So it's interesting today, just before this interview, I was just reflecting on some of the progress we made. And We've had over 375 sales leaders, sales experts, salespeople speak at our events since 2017. And all of this, by the way, for your listeners is available on YouTube. And it's so underutilized because there's years of expertise over there that is available for you to download freely and listen to. And when I reflect on leadership, and particularly in sales and particularly within the software industry, and I think so much has come out from this pandemic is there's a lot, a lot more focus on emotional intelligence and leaders that are demonstrating empathy and understanding their people at a deeper level. I think in the past, you know, I think back to my early career, I started in recruitment and the telecoms industry, which are very traditional, highly competitive, highly commoditized industries where it was really just about performance. There was very little interest or care in who you are as an individual and other challenges you might be faced with. And that's why at Sales Confidence, I'm always talking about well-being and mindset alongside performance. You know, I don't think it's enough just to be happy and well and not be a performer. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm an A player and I want to hang around with A players. I just think what I've noticed from leaders and particularly through the Sales Confidence movement, that we've allowed people to be a bit more open on stage. So, you know, they're not just parading their ego, they're, they're letting you into their world, the challenges that they face, the honesty, the authenticity, and that's making them more accessible as leaders. And then, you know, the new generation are looking to these leaders and, you know, buying into them more. And actually I've had hundreds of conversations with people looking for new roles over the last year, particularly because of the shift in the pandemic. And you ask them what they're looking for in a company. And the first thing they say is, you know, a leader that inspires me, that's going to have my back, that's going to have my support. And so you want these leaders that really do make time, make space to understand the individuals that they're responsible for, uh, as well as creating a cultural environment where people are happy. And because if you create this happy environment you're more likely to get that performance so i just think there's a greater self-awareness uh, around emotional intelligence about being empathetic and also being authentic with what you've overcome and how you can help other people yeah, for sure no 100 i think majority of salespeople i speak to that's the first thing they go to is a good leader like you said that's fundamentally got their back so you talked about like creating a cultural environment what are the and also cultural environment also like understanding on a deeper level with the individual reps. So what kind of, yeah, from, from a manager perspective, what are you seeing these managers actually do and put in place to actually do that? Because it's all well and good saying that the manager's got your back, they're always there, but what kind of strategies are you seeing them put in place? Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's been various different approaches to this. You know, there's strategic approaches that are taken from a leadership and company level, 
which I've been amazed by during the pandemic, where there were some companies that guaranteed the entire sales organization's commissions because they didn't want to worry about their performance and they didn't want to worry about, they didn't want to have them worrying and stressing out, which would come across to their customers. And this is public and the company was Freshwork, which that's amazing. How attractive is that, right? That's like, as a company, we care about our salespeople. We're going to guarantee their commission during this space. So that's like, that's a serious strategic commitment from a business. And I have heard of a, a, a few companies uh, doing that. Then at an individual leadership level, it's just creating more time in one-to-ones, which are more about understanding what's happening in that individual's world. Because we're all super connected now into each other's homes or living spaces. And so there's less of a separation from work and home. And therefore, I think the, the leaders are actually allocating time, which is about us having a conversation and not talking about pipeline, not talking about performance, progressing deals. Actually, you know, what's happening with your partner? How are things at home with the family and the kids? What's been going on from a lifestyle perspective? You know, how are you coping? How can I assist you? Like it's allocating time, which isn't, doesn't feel so formal and is a space to say, look, let's have a conversation so I can understand what other challenges and how I can be helpful. And, you know, there's a balance and there's a line, but I think that's something to be aware of. And then, of course, you've just seen companies providing more services around well-being. So, you know, you've got the likes of Simon at Wellity that's offering well-being services to individuals. And I think I've seen a lot around the likes of Sanctus. So just more programs being introduced to support individuals to cope with the challenges that they've been facing. But the bottom line is, it's about allocating time that isn't just about performance. Perfect. And if we like take a step back now from sales leadership and look generally just across the entire sales function, what else do you think's changed as a result from the current environment on like that individual contributor level or even like the, the SDR function? That's a great question. So, um, you know, naturally the trend towards conversations and in a digital world. So you've got the fact that buyers now are not going to be able to be engaged physically in person. It's all moved online, you know, 90, 100%, even from a global perspective. So you're faced with the fact that, one, buyers have got access to information online via their research, and they're a lot more clear and informed before they speak to an SDR or a salesperson. So that means the SDR has to really understand the personas they're targeting really has to understand the industry uh, and also the solution and the problems they solve so that the time that someone actually gets on the phone and connects with an SDR or a salesperson, they feel that they're getting a kind of a white glove service. The other consideration, and this was you know, well documented from my time at LinkedIn and CEB, they talked about the fact that if you think of the buying committee, there's six to 10 people that are involved in kind of mid-market and enterprise deals now and the difference is often you would go to a physical meeting you might only get two people in a room out of those six because they're the only ones making time now what's fundamentally changed is all of those six to ten people will be online on your website researching you and you've got to understand if you've got the tools that can actually inform that intent you know what they're researching what they're doing on because the fact is now even though you might not get everybody in a room and you're 
still might only get a few of them on a Zoom call. If you send them a video about your product, that will get passed around. If you send them a presentation in a PDF, that will get passed around. So just imagine that when you're approaching the SDR conversation or the individual contributor, that your extra insights that you're sharing are going to be passed around the organization and you need to be available for when they have questions in real time. And the other thing, that's all led to the proliferation of more tools. So, you know, it's generally expected now and it's, it's advanced in the UK and Europe over the last few years and sales competence and Cognizant has been a massive part of this. You know, you wouldn't join a company now unless they have Cognizant in their tech stack to generate uh, data, which is GDPR compliant, to drive more lead generation for sales and marketing. You know, you need that at the top of the funnel. But you also will need to include a tool like Drift, which is connecting conversations on the front end from a marketing conversation perspective, connecting that up with sales and driving revenue. You're also going to have a tool like SalesLoft from a sales engagement and cadence perspective. You know, you're going to have an online phone system like Aircall. There's a whole bunch of technologies now which revenue leaders, and when I say revenue leaders, I'm talking about sales leaders, marketing leaders, sales and revenue operation leaders, and the sales enablement working together to drive revenue. You could probably throw in customer success there as well. You know, there has to be a much better appreciation of the tools. You need to connect them effectively as part of a tech stack. And you've also got to set your team up for a success with the right choice of technology. Okay, perfect. And you spoke there about alignment and also as well about like the website making sure that's up to scratch and the materials that sales are sending on to their prospects so how do you yeah what what determines a good sales leader in in their relationship with marketing and that alignment like how can sales leaders really make sure they're they're both on the same page yeah i think look this is something that um, businesses have been striving towards for many years. Marketing often took the top of the funnel responsibility for generating marketing qualified leads, driving demand generation, building the brand, and then it would be passed over to the SDR, become a sales qualified lead, and now it's part of you know the pipeline that the sales leader just takes responsibility for. And if he doesn't see, or if she doesn't see enough SQLs being created, he then go, or she will then go and knock on the door of marketing to say, hey, what's this going on? Like, th that just can't happen anymore. You know, it can't be reactive. You need to be working together to plan a, the go-to market strategy where there's full alignment and there's what I call feedback loops. So, you know, sales needs to be inputting into the marketing strategy based on the fact that sales are on the front end and they're, they're learning from their audience. You know, they might be using a cool coaching technology like Refract, they're listening to what's happening in the market and they should be able to not just keep that within sales, pass that over to marketing. Likewise, why isn't marketing listening to the sales calls? You know, so they can understand salespeople are in the trenches. They're in the front ends. They are the best indicator if your messaging is resonating, is working. So there's the kind of peer connections and that feedback loop between the sales and marketing team that needs to happen on a daily, weekly basis. And then at the leadership perspective, you know, they need to be in the same conversations. You know, one shouldn't be more strategic than the other. 
they need to be uh, aligned. And I think for founders that might be listening, you know, it's, it's not just about bringing in a sales leader that's then going to have, you know, a marketing person re report to them, maybe from a CRO perspective. Those two individuals need to be elevated and working in partnership to drive overall revenue. Really good insight. Okay, so if we were to transition back a little bit and focus on those high, you spoke about kind of that leadership level. For anyone listening today that's kind of in that individual co contributor role and they're potentially looking to transition to sales leadership, what do you think they should take into consideration on that individual level? Whether it's, yeah, what, what are the key traits that you think these individual contributors need to have to excel in sales leadership position? Yeah, great question. So it's a mindset shift where you are often rewarded for being a selfish individual contributor working part of a team, but responsible on your own territory and then your own target to be a high performer. Moving into leadership, you have to be more servient. You know, you have to actually care about the team and the individuals because it's the collective performance, the well-being of that team and their happiness that's going to create the positive outcomes from a team number perspective. So I think you really have to ask yourself a question like, are you ready? And it's okay if you're not. And are you prepared to support others and focus on their development more than your own? Because it's not about you getting recognition as an IC anymore. The recognition as, as a leader is on the individuals that are driving sales at the front end of the organization. So mindset consideration, is it the right time to even consider this? And the second, in my opinion, is actually patience. Because of the speed and the growth of particularly software companies, there's opportunities for leadership very, very quickly nowadays. And that can be beneficial, but also it can be limiting later on um, when you realize what you've gained in this organization maybe is not as mature or as developed in the next organization that you're considering. So I think those maybe, you know, motivated by leadership should also just bide their time. Our careers are long. Only more pressure happens when you're a leader. You know, in the last 12 months, you'll see on every second post from any thought leader in sales that the tenure of a sales VP is less than 18 months. So, you, you, you know, that is shocking. And that just highlights how much risk there is being a, a very senior leader in a software in, um, organization. And the reason that happens is, you know, you over deliver as a leader. Um, the nature of this business is via um, venture capital investment. The next round of investors come in and want more, and they don't believe you're going to be the individual to grow. And that happens time and time again. The other factor is, is you know, your upside when you transition from an IC to a manager may not be as high. You know, you might not have the same kickers because ultimately, if you're responsible now for maybe five, six, seven people, again, the likelihood of them all hitting target and performing is low. You know, when typically individual contributors, on average, only 40, 50 percent hitting targets, like you really have to care that you're going on this transition as a leader, because if not, it's going to be more stress, more pressure, and you're better off developing as an IC. Now, if that being said, and you're ready to go, and it's frustrating, but you're just going to have to demonstrate while still delivering your number that you are a leader, that you are mentoring others in the team that you're coming forward with strategic suggestions, that you're creative and adding value to the wider organization versus just delivering an IC's number. Yeah. So you touched there on the average tenure of kind of the sales leadership. When we look, and obviously you deal with a lot of companies that have gone through 
some extortionate funding rounds. Um, but what do you see being from like a series A company to a series D company? How does the requirements change for what's actually needed for, for that leader in, in that organization? Well, I mean, you know, really for the layman or us, what I would call almost semi-normal humans, like it's outrageous the amount of liquidity, you know, investment that's going into early stage businesses. When you're looking at, you know, venture-backed software companies, it's staggering how much and how many of these companies are, are receiving mega rounds of investment. You know, Hopin, a, a UK company, their B round was something like $100 million plus. It's outrageous. But if you've got product market fit and you've got a large addressable market, you know, so there's a the potential demand for your services is huge, then it is possible. But at the end of the day, you're not going to have mature systems, mature processes, or even necessarily mature people understanding in that business. So you have to pick the stage based on your appetite for risk and your appetite for hard work and your appetite for being adaptable. So those early stage companies where it's chaotic, as you know, and I know, uh, it's undefined, you know, you're you're basically holding, you know, onto the, the edge of your, your seat because, you know, as Reid Hoffman often will talk about the founder um, of LinkedIn in his book, um, Lit Scaling, that basically it's, you know, it's, it's jumping out of an airplane and putting together the parachute on the way down, which is crazy, right? But you're figuring it out as you're growing. So you have to be prepared to be a, an adaptable, very adaptable individual as an individual and a leader in those early stages and expect that you're not going to have um, normal hours. And I think as the later stages develop, you've got a better product market fit. You've got more consistent quality of systems and processes. The challenges with people are always there, but you've probably got more opportunity to grow and develop as you get further in the stages of VC investment. Okay, so anyone listening who love that vision of going into uh, sales leadership what do you think that they should be doing and they shouldn't be doing like what what should they be doing now and what foundations should they be putting in place if they want to transition into kind of that leadership role well 100 they need to start connecting with mentors and coaches they need to invest in coaches that can identify skill gaps you know the gap between where they are now and where they want to be as a leader they need to connect with mentors, you know, uh, being connected to a community like Sales Confidence allows you to meet other people. You need a peer network outside of your organization uh, that can hold you accountable to your growth goals. So, you know, maybe you want to be a leader in two years, three years, five years, 10 years. Who are the people outside your organization that wherever you work, they're going to have your back and be able to give you advice and input. I do think now there is there's a lot of great material online, you know, there's even from a British sales leader perspective, in the last few months, you've had Andy White, VP of sales, write a book on Medic. You've had Richard Smith, the VP of sales at Refract, um, write a book on prospecting. You've had Ben Real write a book on how to be an elite salesperson. And you've had Matt Bray write a book on partnerships. What I'm saying is there's people writing books on this stuff in the UK now. You don't just need to rely on the US leadership and there's plenty over there yakko winning by design is a, a great one and i think thinking about understanding data understanding the metrics is now critical as well as understanding all the tools because you're going to be responsible not just for your number you're going to be responsible for yes people 
but you're going to be responsible for the process and the system. So you need to start understanding that beyond just understanding your customer and delivering your number. Okay. So you touched there on like implementing the process and system. Say someone takes this role and it, it, it gets to the point where there's underperformance in the team. Like how, how do you, how should sales leaders tackle underperformance? Well, you know, that's a, an expected challenge every leader is going to face. And I think it's about uncovering um, and holding individuals accountable to their existing performance and understanding their expectations for improvement. But it's not just about the individual. It's looking at the systems, as you highlighted, around the individual. You know, are enough leads being generated for the individual? Are you listening to their calls on a software like Refract and understanding and coaching them? Have you set the expectations on a way forward with clear objective OKRs that they can hold and be responsible for? Ultimately, their success and failure as a leader is your responsibility. Now, at some point, certain stages of growth are just not a fit. And that's okay as well. But I think you just have to be open and honest with that individual. And that's where expectation setting comes in. Do you agree as an underperformer right now in this business that you're going to put in the required effort and that I'm going to commit as a leader that over the coming three, six months, you're going to be performing and overachieve again. And if you don't think that's the right answer, then I as a leader would want to help them with their next role. You know, this idea, and it's still, this seems novel, but it's not at all. This idea that people are going to work for you their um, whole career is totally out the window in SaaS. You know, you'll be glad and happy to get three, four years out of a salesperson. But what I would say is, you know, be a, a positive force for good. And if you genuinely believe on both sides that this is not a right fit, help them out the business. Don't let them squander and fail further. Literally help them get out the business and connect them with other opportunities. You'll be remembered for that. I'll, I'll give you one story as an example of this, and I won't mention his name, but I'll never forget this because we I had an SDR in one of the first SDR teams I built in Huddle. He was a UK SaaS business, well-regarded at the time. And he, he wasn't performing, and I really felt like he needed to start thinking about another job. So I sat him down one Friday, and I said, look, we've got to this point now. You're clearly not performing. How do you feel about that? And he's like, look, not really good. And I said, well, why don't I help you find another role? And he was shocked. I said, look, the least you're going to understand, if you, you go out to the market, I want you to do it this weekend. Send me your CV. I'm going to help you write your CV. I want you to identify 10 companies. And then I want you to come back on Monday and I'm going to introduce you to those 10 companies. However, I'm going to give you a chance. If once you've written your CV out and you looked at those 10 companies, you believe you're going to be able to turn your career around here and you're going to commit to me and you're going to hold yourself accountable for getting your performance on track. We forget about this conversation. We can continue. He comes back on Monday with his CV, with his 10 companies like James. I really want to stay. I really want to commit. I really want to develop. Like literally six months later, he's one of the top performers. He gets promoted to a salesperson. He ends up, after I leave, moving to a pre-IPO company, whole bunch of shares, and now he's leading a team in Australia for this particular company. So there's moments in people's careers, those sliding door moments, and that for him was one of those. But as a leader, I could have taken a different approach. One, I could have forced him out. You know, what I could have not given him the choice uh, Two, I could have just let him fail, which for me is just a failure as a leader. That shouldn't be the case.
so yeah that's quite a good story it's a great story i think like you pinpointed there like it's just understanding your reps isn't it and putting onus as as a manager it's your responsibility to actually get the best out of that person if you hired them there's no reason they can't reach that potential yeah exactly and then you've just got to have you know realistic expectations on both sides mm-hmm. that you know some people need certain support at different stages of the learning curve basically right at the end of the day sales technology is not as complex as you know being in the operating table trying to figure out what body part needs to go in the right place right so people just need a bit more time to to learn and figure it out and also expect that people are going to fail and struggle like that's that's the job that's why we're rewarded the commission but i just think there's still way too much and maybe it's a generational thing maybe you know this is unfair maybe to those older listeners but maybe it's those still those 40 50 plus sales leaders that came came from the school of hard knocks you know back in the day selling i don't know it disk space and printers at xerox or you know telecommunications this is really unfair now but you, you know that their expectation is look if someone's not deliver it's not my problem they need to get out i just think that's not the case now there's so much competition for talent if you've gone through the process of investing and hiring someone, you've got to figure out how to give them the best opportunity to thrive. No, 100% agree. And I think like the emergence of stuff like Glassdoor as well, that's just for another spanner in the works. And people do read the stuff now. It's not its not the case like it potentially used to be. Yeah, and the fact is, I can look at any company and look up the sales team and connect with them casually and say, look, what's really your boss like? Mm. And you're going to get an answer. Yeah, we're getting that in interviews when we interview now. We're getting people reach out to other members of the team, just get an understanding of the culture. So, yeah, absolutely right. So, James, that really concludes the podcast today. So, thank you so much for your time. Just in terms of what we got coming, what you got coming up on sales confidence, is there any events that we should be aware of that's upcoming in the next couple of months? Yeah, great. So, you know, two main things really. This year, we do sales confidence events about twice a month. So we focus on SDR individual roles. We now have launched an SDR manager event. So specific SDR manager um, events, IC, and then sales leaders that are happening regularly if you go to um, salesconfidence.com. And then we have our annual event, SaaS Growth, which is on the 7th of July, which is basically Europe's number one sales and marketing leadership conference. And we have world-class speakers, full-day event, loads of networking, and it's the best kind of climactic highlight of the sales calendar in Europe in 2021. Perfect. 